Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome back to the podcast. This episode is about choosing who you hang around with and who you play with. It is my belief that who you surround yourself with affects you. You affect them too. So we're going to kind of explore that today. Uh, the first thing I want to uh, point out is that in no way am I suggesting that you should become a bluegrass snob and demand to only play with the greatest possible musicians. That's not realistic. And you have to think back to when you started out playing. If everyone you encountered refused to play with you because you weren't good enough, you know, you would have never grown as a musician. So everything I'm talking about here kind of goes both ways. What I'm really hoping to do is to get get you to just sort of look around and say, who am I spending a lot of time with when I'm playing music? Who am I sitting next to? Who am I playing with? And, you know, rate them a little bit and compare them to yourself and do it privately. Keep it to yourself. And I want to make the point that who you hang around with really counts. When you started out and you didn't know anything and you went to your first jam session or, or bluegrass festival, everybody in the room played better than you. But that doesn't mean that they were great players. You see, it's all relative. There was a there was a mandolin player that I ran into at the very first bluegrass festival I ever went to that had a lot of live jamming at, at the Marietta Bluegrass Festival. And I, I can remember standing there watching this guy thinking, oh man, if I could ever do that. And he was good. 25 years later, I would still see the guy around at bluegrass festivals. And I realized that he wasn't all that good. He was good, but he wasn't great. I'm sure he would freely admit that. He sounded exactly the same 25 years later. And I didn't have him up on this pedestal because it's all relative. You know, as I became as good as him, then he didn't seem so so great anymore. But I remember standing there watching him the first time and just being absolutely amazed and mystified by what he was doing. And then later on, I mean, I don't know. He might have stood there and watched me being 25 years later. He might have been absolutely mystified by what I was doing or why, why in the world I would do what I was doing. What I'm saying is that if you... When you're starting out, everybody's going to seem better than you. But when you play with them and you grow as a musician and you become as good as them, how are you going to progress further if you just keep playing with people like that? You know, and this sounds really negative. It's, it's, it sounds like I have no tolerance for people who don't play well. That is not true. I just want to say that if you want to go to a higher level, even in little small incremental steps, 
You need to position yourself and play with people who are better than you. You can't learn from someone who doesn't play as well as you. They can learn from you. So that's, that's why, you know, bear in mind all of this, I'm talking about two sides of the coin. Where you are, there are people who don't play as well as you, and there are people who play better than you. Just lean towards the side of people who play better than you, and you'll get better. Lean towards the side where people play worse than you, and you won't improve. You might even get worse. And I, I've had this internal dialogue for quite a long time, beginning when I started teaching. And it has, it has grown over the years where I have this little theory that the countless hours that I have spent um, sitting in a chair next to a beginner has hurt my play. Because you cannot help but be affected by who you're played with. That is the basic theory I'm putting across here. And here's what happens at a typical lesson. Let's say I have a beginning banjo student or mandolin student or guitar student or whatever sitting there and they've been playing a month. And I'm in the other chair and I've been playing 30 years at that time. Okay. Anybody could walk in the room and say, well, the, the teacher is, is better player than the student. That's, we hope that's the way it is. So I teach the student how to play Cripple Creek or boil them cabbage down or something, and we're going through it. And then I grab up my guitar and I say, okay, you play the tune, I'm going to play rhythm for you. And they start. There is um, a high likelihood that the student will not play perfectly. And here I'm mostly going to talk about timing. They will make timing errors. And uh, the more uh, proficient they become, the less that will occur. But they're listening to me, and they're thinking about what they're doing, and they're playing. And there is a natural inclination by the teacher, or, or the, the better musician in that scenario, to bend and alter what they're doing to fit what the student is doing. So let me state that a little simpler. If the mandolin player that I'm playing with plays out of time, I naturally will try to correct and get with him or her to try to make it not sound bad. You know, I want it to sound good. It's really hard to sit there and just drive ahead, ignoring the student completely and say, like a metronome, like a recording, I'm just going to barge ahead and play. You try to do that, but you also you recoil at things that are out of time. So you try to fix that. And everybody in every playing situation is always doing that. Everybody is making minor corrections. You cannot play group music and block out everything that's going on around you. There is a certain amount of flexibility built into all music. If you play with better players, you don't have to do as much of that correcting because everyone is playing better and everyone is listening to everyone and the little changes that are taking place are very small. But if a, if a beginner is sitting there and they're, they're just late on a note and then they continue, you know, some 
extra time is just inserted into a measure, they may not even notice it because their brain was concentrating on playing that note and maybe time got interrupted just long enough for them to figure out which finger they were supposed to use. And then they continue. They may not even know that they made a timing error. And if the person accompanying them, the better player corrects and realigns with them and continues. I I guess what I'm saying is it may be actually doing a disservice to the student to follow them and stay with them. Maybe it would, would be better just to completely ignore them and barge ahead. Um, you know, I, I had better success in encouraging playing in rhythm with students if I would bring uh, rec- pre-recorded tracks to the lesson and have them play with those or have us both play along with those or have us both play along with a metronome. Then there's this impartial judge of where the time is. And... You know, it's just that a lot of, of a lot of better players naturally do that time correcting to try to keep everything together. And, you know, the student doesn't learn anything rhythmically from that because they can't hear that they made a mistake because you still sound like you're together. Maybe it sped up, maybe it slowed down, maybe there was a little extra time inserted here or there or deleted, a note was rushed or a note was late. How are they supposed to know? How are they supposed to get better if you're constantly bending to what they're doing? Uh, If you've ever um, gone into a recording studio and tried to play along with a track, uh, you know, maybe four or five tracks have already been laid down and then you're asked to lay down some banjo on this and you hear the count off and you start playing with it. Throughout your playing, you're constantly making little corrections to try to stay in timing alignment with the pre-recorded track because they're not going to bend to you because they may have been recorded three weeks ago. So you must bend to them. And that is really difficult. That's probably why most people are not that good at multi-track recording. It's so demanding to try to constantly self-correct to stay in perfect timing. Now it's easier if the, the tracks that are laid down first are in good steady time. But when when a when a beginner is playing with somebody who plays a little better, an intermediate or kind of an advanced player, it stands to reason that the beginner will make more more timing errors. So what I'm saying here is that I felt like after many, many years of playing along with people who really couldn't play that well yet, I was trying to help them play better. And I I think I've been successful in that to some degree or another. But while that's happening, I felt like it, it kind of hurt my own playing to constantly being in that environment. I might have 15 students on my schedule and I, I would spend, you know, a half hour with each one of them. Every one of them, in in theory, can't play as well as I do. So I'm spending all this time, you know, seven and a half hours that week, picking with people who don't have that great timing. And I'm trying to just stick with timing issues here. Now, that 
has to have an effect on me as a player if my theory is correct. And of course, you can refute my theory. Um, and I, I felt it in my own playing. And then I, I would feel what I would describe as the relief of playing with my band or bands. You know, I played a lot of years with Pony Express and I felt like they just had this awesome timing. And I felt the same way about Cedar Hill. I didn't feel those same anxious moments of trying to stay in alignment. It felt like a machine where all cylinders were firing in perfect timing. And I just didn't ever have to think about it much. And it, it felt like a great relief to again be playing with people who were playing better. Okay. So that sounds a bit, um, I, I, it sounds like, uh, I may be looking down on people who don't play as well, but I, I, I bear in mind that there is a scale in which we're all on no matter how good or bad or somewhere in between you are, there are people on both sides of you on the scale and you're going to encounter all of them at different times. And you can't just say he's a good musician. He's a bad musician. He's an okay musician because Musician is too broad of a category. You have to break it down and think about what aspects of musicianship is he good at or bad at. I did a blog article. I think it's titled, What is your K-A-E score? In this blog article, rather than just using one scale, one measurement, like how good of a musician is a person, I broke it into three categories, knowledge, ability, and experience. But you could divide a person's qualities into 10 or 20 or 100 categories. You could include things like, you know, uh, how good of a singer is he? How good is his pitch? Uh, how wide is his range? How is his diction? How is his on-stage persona? How does he look? How does he dress? How does he smell? How does he act? You know, I mean, you could just subdivide and subdivide. And what I want you to remember is when I'm talking about putting yourself in the company of better players, I don't want you just to think about how they play. I want you to also think about all those other characteristics that are also very important. Because there are people who play technically quite well who can be real jerks. I, I, that doesn't mean I'm not saying that everyone who plays well is a jerk. What I'm saying is they're, they're not related. You could be a great player and a nice guy. Or you could be a great player and a real jerk. So you have to figure, if my theory, again, is correct, that if you hang around with a bunch of jerks, you may become a jerk. Does that make sense? If you hang around a bunch of people who are, um, you know, fun, nice, polite, punctual, you know, all those things, then that will rub off on you too. Every parent thinks about this when they send their 
kid off to school. I dropped my son off at school this morning, and I don't dwell on this, but I think about now when recess happens, who is Jackson hanging around with on the playground? Because every parent knows that who your child hangs around with begins to affect him or her. You hang around a bunch of hippies, you'll probably turn into a, somewhat of a hippie. Hang a bunch around a bunch of rednecks, you'll probably become a bit of a redneck. You see what I mean? People are imitators. People like to feel a part of a group. They don't like to stick out and stand out. That doesn't mean everyone, but most people become a lot like who they hang around. So you can look at this whole concept of who you hang around affects your music, and you could say, well, if I want to improve technically, it would help me to hang around with people who are more technically able. It won't help you technically to hang around people who are technically unable. You see, but let's say on the other, let's choose a kind of a different category. Let's say you want to try to learn to be a better entertainer and showman. Okay. Well, it will help you to expose yourself and hang around and spend more time with people who are like that. And that's not the same as being able to play your banjo. So think about all the different categories and and try to picture what do you want to be and do. And usually you can find that out really easily if you just sit down and go, who are the performers out there in the world that I really enjoy watching, listening to? You're probably enjoying watching and listening to them because that's what you aspire to. Uh, You wouldn't sit around and watch and listen to people go to shows and things, things you don't like. And if you do like them, then you probably would like to take some of that on into yourself. And by the way, this applies to who, what kind of bands you go see, who you jam with. It really, really has a great effect in when you join a band because it's kind of a long-term commitment. It's a lot like marriage, even though many marriages don't last. Uh, they, most marriages uh, you know, last longer than most bands. I'm sad to say. I was in Cedar Hill for 27 years, and uh, that was more than a marriage. I actually uh, outlasted the, by far the average marriage. And it is a bit of a marriage. But when you make that kind of commitment and you join a, a band, the effects of that are long lasting. So if you join a band and you're fully committed to it and certain aspects of these people, they're not doing the thing you really aspire to. It may hold you back or pull you down. Other areas it may boost you in because it's everyone is a complex mix of many characteristics. Uh, if you want to explore that a little bit, I, I encourage you to read um, Butch Robbins' book, What I Know About What I Know. He talks about you know various bands that he joined and, and so on over many, many years and discussed the personalities and you know what they were up to and stuff. 
you could join a group of musicians who are really on the cutting edge and are ahead of you musically. I think that would be true for him when he became the bass player for New Grass Revival. He was actually becoming the bass player and he didn't play bass. They were like, you could figure it out. This is back in the very early days of New Grass Revival. So here's this banjo player who is playing electric bass with New Grass Revival. He grew as a bass player. He had to. It's, you know, it's sink or swim. You can listen to that episode. But if you read his book or if you talk to anybody who's been out there in the real real world or you just examine your own past, you're going to find sometimes you get in with a bunch and certain aspects of the experience are great and others are not. For example, you might go join a band and everybody's playing at a higher level and more is expected of you. And you find that over a short period of time, you are really growing and improving and musically, but you might also find that like three of them are heroin addicts or something and they're late for all the gigs and you're not getting paid on time or, you know what I mean? There can be other parts of this. And I'm not talking about new grass survival here. This is hypothetical. So, you have to take it all in and then on the whole, ask yourself who I am hanging around with on the whole. Is that positive or negative for me? Cause it isn't just going to be all about music and it's not going to be all about behaviors. It's not all going to be about dress. It's not all going to be about, you know, it's the combined thing. So just take a look around yourself and, and say, am I hanging around with the kind of people who have the kind of characteristics that I want to absorb into myself. Because if you hang around them, you will either absorb some of it or you will depart. So anyway, it's just kind of a a concept that this is much like when I started the podcast, I said, these things that I'm talking about here are not things that I can package and sell. There's no way in the world I could record this and charge somebody eight bucks to download it and listen to the the great wisdom of the, (laughs) you know what I mean? This is just stuff I'm just telling you. If it makes sense to you, I hope it will in some way improve your life. If it doesn't make sense to you, you, at least you weren't charged for it. And that's the way I look at this entire podcast. I occasionally get... Um, well, I get uh, some, uh, responses from listeners saying, man, this is great. Uh, you know, I, I'm 54 years old and I've taken up the banjo and I've been listening to all your podcasts and it's really great. Keep up the good work. I get those. And I've posted a few of them up on the main page at grasstalkradio.com. I'm sticking a few little com- comments in there, but I'm sure there are people that listen to this. There has to be. The people that listen to it and go, oh man, this guy, who does he think he is? This is the most boring thing. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's a wide range of, of opinions of what I'm doing, but as I said, at least I'm not charging you for it. So you're always free to get up and walk out as they say. And if you like it, stick around. And if you really like it, tell your friends about the podcast, spread it around. As I've stated before, I have no advertising budget. And uh, if you really, really like it, 
go over to my go over to grasstalkradio.com and slide on down and you'll see the grass talk radio supporter package it is set up so that you can name your own amount that you would like to give i think the bottom is five five bucks and i've explained before why that's as low as i can go there but if you just hit the lottery and you want to throw a hundred grand my way i will use it wisely in the furtherance of bluegrass um I'll leave that up to you. Uh, and of course, there is also, if you like to be more more trade-oriented, you can always go over to my store, uh, online store, and take a look at some of the ebooks and video lessons that I have prepared. And then when you plunk down your money, you can say, well, I got this back. And hopefully that will help you along your bluegrass journey. Everybody, thanks for listening. I was trying to keep this a little short because I'm I'm pushing my limits in terms of space available on Podbean where I host the podcast. So I, I had two one-hour episodes back-to-back here. So I'm making this one a little bit shorter. Uh, one last thing. I also want to once again put out a call. I've mentioned in several episodes that I would love to feature some full-length bluegrass tunes from some bands who have some original material or public domain traditional material. If you, if you know a band that you like and you want to help them get a little recognition, talk to them, send me a CD, mail me a CD or email me some tracks and do something. Uh, I'm not getting a lot of response from that. I, I have gotten a couple, which you've heard. And there are a couple others that are kind of, we're going back and forth, but I would love to be just swamped with, band saying hey play my track um and if they're good i will if if they're bluegrass and they're good and i like them i'll put them on the show and i'll link back to you in the show notes page so once again i'm putting out my call for recordings that you'd like to hear on the show that's enough for this episode it's raining here today a little drizzle and it's 55 degrees can't do any yard work So I'm just going to fiddle around with the website and get this edited. And I hope all of you have a wonderful day. And visit my site, bradleylaird.com, when you get a chance. And I'll talk to you in the next podcast. Oh, and one more thing I forgot to mention. uh, The music that I'm going out with in this episode. And this is a recording of a fiddle player that I knew around the south side of Atlanta by the name of Don Cato. And uh, he's... He contacted me once. He knew I had a little recording studio in the basement of the house and wanted to make a CD of fiddle tunes. So he and his buddy, Tommy Singleton, they came over and started recording. And I called Don Cato the Waltz King. I I think there were 13 tracks on his CD, and 12 of them were waltzes. He was the smoothest fiddle player And I was just thinking about him today because on that recording, Don Cato was the fiddle player and Tommy Singleton was his guitar player. Those two guys always hung around together. And he called in Red Yates to play the bass and Buddy Ashmore to play a second rhythm guitar. And he asked me to put some mandolin on there. So I recorded all them and then recorded the mandolin over at the end, just added some little rhythm and a few little licks here and there and mixed it. And he basically wanted to just 
make a CD to give to his friends and family. And I think he ordered a few hundred CDs and began to just hand them out to family and friends. I, I doubt he ever charged anyone for his, his CD. And it's only that's only been about seven or eight years ago. Don has passed away. Tommy has passed away. Red Yates has passed away. Three. Well, Buddy and I are the only two left standing from that project. So it just I was just thinking about those guys and I you know, thinking about how I miss playing with them. So I thought I would just play you a little bit of Don Cato. And if you ever met Don, hopefully this will bring back some memories of Don and, and Tommy. And uh, it's the last cut on the CD. It's um, his version of In the Garden, old sacred number. And it's actually a little medley with Amazing Grace in it, too. So it's just one of those kind of days around here. And I hope you enjoy it. Here's Don Cato. Thank you. 